This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiamson. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever podcasting platform you're listening to. Welcome to episode number 67 of the Podium Finish Live, or TPF Live, the world's fastest hour of racing talk. I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, and I am so happy to have two of my great friends here on this edition of the world's fastest hour of racing talk. Of course, those two friends are Nathan Solomon and Jasmine Sharp, or Jazz Sharp, um, as we call her colloquially. So it's a really awesome edition of this show because we're going to look back at Talladega um, and probably call Geico for some insurance on our wrecked race car. But don't worry, folks, because we're going to be looking ahead to Dover Motor Speedway Race Weekend. And right now, Mother Nature just needs to take a chill because uh, it looks like Friday doesn't look that great. Saturday looks really swell after we get through 8 a.m. in the morning. Uh, but then Sunday, come on. You can write on Monday, folks. Just let's like Saturday and Sunday as overcast and moisture free as possible because we have the East Coast boys at the racetrack. And those East Coast boys, of course, are Nathan Solomon, Josh Jones, and Sam Drace. Let these three cover a race in dry conditions, please, in 2023. That was really impassionate. I hope I scared Mother Nature a little bit. And just as if you want to see how hardcore we are or hear how hardcore we are, I was just saying before we started recording, you know, Jazz and I are doing our normal setup uh, in our remote studios, but Nathan is on the road and he's brought his mic. So if his sound quality sounds much more superior than ours, well, that's because Nathan takes things to the nth level. So before we get uh, Nathan and Jazz uh, invited in to, you know, share their thoughts and all. I do want to say that we have an amazing hot seat interview or two for today because everybody's going to be sitting in the front row with Michael McDowell and his crew chief, Travis Peterson, here today. So if you're all about number 34 in the loves machine, well, it's not quite the love shack, but it's more like the front row motorsports love connection here. So anyways, Let's go bring in Nathan. Let's go bring in Jazz. And, you know, of course, me and Nathan being such gentlemen, ladies first or lady first and then Nathan. So, Jazz, how are you doing on this day? Uh, my Finally, the first day of this entire week where I've been home for more than two or three hours. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. We, ladies and gents, I know today we're going to be covering some of these topics, but the Hickory race this past weekend was incredible. Thank goodness for those that had some crazy gnarly wrecks. Everything is okay. No, for Isabella, she got percussion. Nobody wants that, but that's some intense racing for the Cars Tour. And uh, yeah, did some late model testing and uh, did some kart racing at Millbridge. Let's just say Jordan Taylor. Got some cool stuff in the future for him, so pretty excited about that. Are you sure it was Jordan, or was it Rodney Sandstorm? You know what? Maybe it was both. I mean, I didn't see Rod. You know, he could have snuck in in the background during some of the testing and jumped in, but pretty sure it was it was Jordan Taylor this time. 
<laughs> yeah, fair enough, because Rodney doesn't wear the eyeglasses. It's always no. Jordan with his intellectual, you know, uh, pearl vision look. So yes, that's Mr. Taylor for you, JT. So well, I'm sure we'll bring JT back into this house eventually, but he was a previous guest and uh, who knows, maybe we'll see him in a stock car again uh, down the road. Um, up the road, rather, from me here in Texas, besides Jazz, is Nathan. And uh, right now, he's he's uh, not doing any rain dances anytime soon. So, Nathan, how are you doing today? No, I need to do my rain dance so the rain will stay away because oh. I'm not cause I'm currently at the hotel on, on my way down to um, Dover for the weekend. Excited to, to cover my second race of the season for TPF. But uh, it would be even better if the rain decided it would like to stay away because um, so far we don't have a, a great track record with uh, weather in Dover Motor Speedway because last year, after two great days, after great weather on Friday, great weather on Saturday, um, Mother Nature reared its big ugly head on Sunday and it rained. And now it's rearing its big ugly head all weekend so uh friday looks pretty wet saturday looks okay and then sunday also looks very wet so hoping um we will get the race in on sunday um that will be good i would hate to go over two here on dover races to start off my uh tenure i guess at at, at tpf but uh yeah ex i am excited though i mean for i know i'm kind of being miserable about the weather but uh very excited though to get back to the track i've got a lot planned for this weekend um so regardless of if the race happens or not not, um, you will be seeing a uh, lots of content from this weekend. So very excited to bring that over these next couple of days. Seriously, like I, it's uh, going to be a loaded weekend at Dover. So uh, very much looking forward to it. Yes, I would say that Nathan's going to be having a Christmas type weekend at Dover because uh, let's just say the number of interviews he's got for even just Friday, uh, we're going to be okay on interviews for hot seat segments for the next, I would say two, two and a half months. So by that point, we're talking about New Hampshire Motor Speedway Race Weekend. So we're going to be, we're going to be coasting along. We're going to be cruising USA, not the arcade game, but, you know, TPF way. So going to be a lot of fun. Yes, I, I know Jazz and I are getting those references and Nathan has no clue what cruising USA, the, the arcade game was. Uh, I will say I lost a lot of quarters trying to get from like, I don't know, uh, San Diego to like Los Angeles. So I don't know. I'm I'm 37, folks, so I'm I'm old, as my niece would say. Anyways, before we get started on the fun here on TPF Live, why don't we hear from our sponsors, spoilerdiecast.com? Hey racing fans, are you in the hunt for the latest diecast cars from Lionel Racing or F1 or IndyCar Diecasts? Well look no further if you head to spoilerdiecast.com. You'll find all of the latest and greatest diecast cars and get free shipping and 5% off of your orders if you use promo code TPF by spending $20 or more on your items. Head over to spoilerdiecast.com and let Evan and his team know that you want the best diecast cards around. So just head on over to spoilerdiecast.com and make your latest purchases today. It's an exciting time for you diecast collectors, as you know, because a lot of 2023 NASCAR diecasts are arriving in those shipping containers from China to North Carolina or wherever Lionel's getting them. I'll just presume North Carolina. I'm not really an insider with that stuff. But anyways, folks, 
those latest and greatest diecast cars are finally coming to the US of A. And that means you don't have to keep ordering duplicates like <clears throat> me. So uh, get get those get your money out of your wallet or ACH it like I do at my other job. And uh, get Evan and his team really busy with shipping out those latest Kevin Harvick, Eric Almarola. And pretty soon, yes, for you Hendrick fans, be patient because they're going to have those Hendrick Chevrolets with legal lovers or louvers. Don't worry. I know it's a joke. Um, those Hendrick cars are going to be hitting the shelves soon. So spoilerdiecast.com, if you spend $20 or more, you can get free shipping and 5% off of your orders, regardless if it's in stock or, or pre-order, by using promo code TPF. Just be sure to let Evan know that the TPF gang sent you over. So with that, folks, just hold off on your shopping for now because I want you all to sit back and relax and get ready for Podium Perspectives. Now, this one's kind of an ouchie ooh-ooh edition of Podium Perspectives. Yes, I did say that, and I lost a lot a lot of cool points by doing so, but uh, let's get a little serious here because for the, our first topic, it's kind of unfortunate news, honestly, because a good friend of the TPF Live community um, got injured again, unfortunately. In this case, during the high speed or the sprint car race series that Kyle Larson oversees, uh, Alex Bowman got involved in a really bad accident in which he fractured his vertebrae. So as of this moment, as of this recording, he will be out four weeks. Now, it doesn't. we don't know if that means four weeks and he's back for the All-Star race or for the Coke 600. But as Nathan pointed out before about Chase Elliott's injuries, you know, on the leg side of things, you know, at least we're at the point in the schedule where it's not too physically demanding, but a fractured vertebrae is a little bit of a different story. Um, and it's unfortunate because Alex has been having probably the best start ever in his career. He's become Mr. Consistency instead of being showman, Bowman the showman, which he, he absolutely hates being called, by the way. Uh, he's let me know that vehemently. So before we get involved, you know, start in our thoughts, of course, we all wish Alex a speedy and full recovery, and we hope to see him back in that number 48 Ally Chevrolet ASAP because he is one of the wittiest, but also one of the great young drivers in the circuit. And oh, by the way, kind of bad timing, but still happy birthday, Alex. And I hope you really do have good health coming soon, my friend. It's uh Man, oh man, when you get better, I'll, I'll tease you a bit about it. But right now, we want you to get better. But uh, we'll start off with Jazz and then Nathan. I mean, Alex is injured again. I know last month, yeah, last year, it was the concussion that he sustained at Texas Motor Speedway in a cup car. But this time, it's this injury didn't happen in a cup car. So, you know, Hendrick Motorsports hasn't really had its full lineup really in a, quite a long time. So, Jazz, do you think that, you know, team owners like Rick, Rick Hendrick are going to say, hey, guys, I know we don't want to, like, you know, tell you to stay at home all the time, but we're getting closer and closer to the playoffs. We kind of need you to, like, not get yourselves hurt. You know, I believe you bring that up. I believe that is the protocol already for uh, 
Joe Gibbs Racing with uh, Christopher Bell already because I know for him, he hasn't done sprint car racing in a while. And for him and Larson, those two have always been very, very competitive with one another outside of the NASCAR track when it comes to sprint racing. Um, there might be a amendum, addendum, I believe that is the word, English, great. But if they were to do that, uh, drivers, when they do sign on with these these groups and all that for Hendrick, for instance, they do get contracts that tell them certain things like, sounds weird, but a lot of drivers, for example, aren't supposed to eat like legit food an hour or so before driving and all that. Just precautions. I know that sounds weird. That's weird facts. I know weird facts with jazz, but they some might be looking into that. Um, considering, and I find it really weird, but I call it a blessing at the same time. But look at Kyle Larson and how many hellacious hits he's taken, both inside of NASCAR and outside of NASCAR with Rex and all that, and the fact that he's practically okay. Like I'm, mean, I gotta knock on wood there, make sure I don't want him to get injured either, but. I feel like for some of the other guys, like who else? Priest, for example, he does a lot of extracurricular racing activities. There might be some caution, but I know we will be bringing this up later in the podcast. I think the concern right now is more of the cup cars themselves. Um, looking through my treasure trove of facts, the guy who is replacing Bowman, which one Bowman, I'm sorry that your 30th birthday ended up the way that it did. I hope that you recover swiftly for both of your doggo sakes too. I know your poor dogs right now are not having a good time about that, but uh, Josh Berry, fun fact, Josh Berry has run more laps in the cup car this season than he has in his Xfinity car. Hmm. That, yeah, weird stat. I, that was something that was brought up. I don't know if our friend Seth Eggert was the one who brought that up, but that was something that was mentioned this week through the various medias of interwebs whether that be twitter reddit you know the whole works so i guess for josh berry in this case that gives him more of a chance and he's he's proven himself i think i think he's been doing a really good job considering he's been literally learning how this car operates on the fly um i just like i said my concern is more with the cup car itself like i said which we will be discussing here soon so Go ahead, Nate. I know Nate has some good, juicy, juicy details about this in his perspective. I know. Well, no, no pressure now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously a kind of a it's a tough situation to deal with, right? I mean, you never want to see anybody injured, but at the same time, um, you never want to restrict a race car driver from racing cars you know whether it's a stock car or a sprint car or a late model or really whatever it is uh, obviously this is another one of those cases i mean i guess in a sense it's kind of similar to the chase elliott deal right i mean um you know chase elliott a really experienced snowboarder just kind of a freak accident breaks his um you know essentially breaks his leg uh and, and misses six weeks right and then alex bowman um you know, just doing something he, he's very used to, right? Racing sprint cars, just kind of a freak accident, ends up uh, fracturing his vertebrae. So I, I'm not sure if that will be what draws the line. I mean, after Chase Elliott got hurt, uh, Hendrick Motorsports made it clear that they're not going to draw that line, at least yet. Now, I don't know if they're going to reconsider that position again now that Bowman gets hurt or has gotten hurt. But, um, you know, to your point, Jasmine, like there's, you know, Joe Gibbs Racing, um, they, you know, they have that 
pretty much a, a no a no BS policy for for anything else outside of outside of NASCAR, right? Like Christopher Bell, he can't really do anything outside of racing stock cars anymore. Um, and even when Kyle Busch was there, he made it pretty clear that um, Joe didn't really want him to do anything outside of, of NASCAR or, or outside of stock car racing because of some of those dangers. And now, uh, of course, there's some of these rumblings that, oh, maybe Kyle Busch could be doing an Indy 500 down the road. And I mean, you even look at Hendrick Motorsports. Kyle Larson's doing... Um, I believe after after this year he's doing the next two Indy 500. He's he's running in 2024 and 2025. So obviously that deal's signed. But um, you know I'll, I'll kind of get a, a I guess gain a better perspective of it all this weekend while I'm at Dover and, and listening to some of these media sessions about um, you know kind of where Hendrick might draw that line. But um, I think it's certainly something they have to consider. I mean I want drivers again to be able to to race all the time. Like um, and I and I know you know young kids are well, not even just kids but I think any sort of race fan that lives in the middle of, you know, middle of nowhere, but has a dirt track 10 miles down the road. And, you know, they, they look forward to the one time a year, once every couple of years when they say, oh, you know, Kyle Larson's going to be here this weekend. Alex Bowen's going to be here this weekend. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is going to be here this weekend. The guys I watch on TV all the time are going to be, you know, 10 minutes from my house. And, you know, I can never go out and watch a just go to a cup race, right? So this is my chance to, to see my guys that, you know, I, I love to watch on TV all the time. So uh, it's it's a tough it's a tough decision. I mean, again, I think it's so good for racing to have some of those guys um, racing at these small dirt tracks and, and for, you know, big money like in the high limits race, like kind of what happened with Bowman. But at the same time, though, obviously they're, you know, um, their number one priority is, is the cup team. And, and that's, you know, we're I guess they're making their big bucks too. So uh, it, it's a really tough decision. I, I, I kind of think in my gut, Hendrick um, still allows them to, to do whatever, all four of their drivers. Um, I think just more more so a couple of freak accidents with, with Chase Elliott and then uh, and then and then Alex Bowman. So we'll we'll see. Um, but I, I think kind of my gut tells me that the Hendrick will will just kind of keep pretty constant with its with its recent policy. I would tend to agree with Nathan on that, just because it helps that you know one of their heads executives is Jeff Gordon, who is a former race car driver who obviously you know he's race sprint cars he has other activities he likes to do and um you said you have to let these drivers have some kind of life outside of their job which their job is nascar and anything else that's not nascar is the fun part of their lives so you don't want to take that freedom away from them um i will be interested to see though when we get to the playoffs does do they eventually say okay we let you have your fun during the first 26 races of the season but now we got to the nitty gritty. It's the final 10 races of the year. Let's keep you here on Sundays or whatever, you know, Saturday nights, if it's at a, you know, a racetrack like Bristol or something, but you know, that kind of does segue to our second topic and jazz kind of brings up a really interesting point, which we let's get into that right now, honestly, you know, during the first overtime restart, I want to say during last Sunday's Geico 500 at Talladega super speedway, we had a hard wreck involving Kyle Larson and Ryan Priest. In fact, Kyle Larson, in fact, got T-boned passenger door side. And, you know, the scary part of it was not just the impact itself, but the fact that the number five's door was just so smashed in like and ripped open a gash on the door that you could see like a panel going into the cockpit. 
And Kyle Larson himself even mentioned that, you know, the cockpit's pretty much all destroyed. Now, I know something has to give in accidents, and we would rather that the driver doesn't, you know, take the brunt of it. But, you know, we, we've been focusing a lot about, you know, drivers have to be careful and maybe this such and such accident happens, ski, you know, snowboarding or spring car racing, you know, we got to put a restriction on cup drivers activities, but, you know, to Jazz's point earlier, and we'll start off with Nathan and then go back to Jazz, you know, is this concerning for NASCAR knowing that this next gen car still has some work to do and to kind of be devil's advocate, does this also kind of counter the argument that, you know, that team owners, you know, they, they kind of lose the battle when they tell their drivers, we don't want you to do anything else, but just cup racing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just, you know, Sundays that, that incident, just another example of the fact that this car still needs a lot of work. I know many drivers have been, have continued to be outspoken about, you know, many different things about the car, whether it's the quality of racing or the safety. Um, right now, a lot of it is quality of racing, right? Like I saw um, up on, on Tuesday up at, at New Hampshire, they did a tire test up there, and, and Christopher Bell had some pretty interesting comments calling um, calling the engines gutless. Like, you know, so I think, the, the, I know the drivers want more horsepower. They want um, the tires to be less wide. They want they want changes to the car for sure. Um so I think that the, that's certainly on the radar of NASCAR, and I think those are changes that will be coming next year. Um, in terms of safety, yeah, I mean, this is kind of a recurring question about the safety of this next-gen car. I know they made a few changes over the offseason to at least improve rear impacts, um, but, you know, I think there, there's, there's still certainly concerns about it. I mean, Sunday's wreck was definitely very concerning, seeing the door rip apart, I think. The only, I guess, good thing, well, I, I think there's two good things I think we can take from it. Three, actually, I keep, the number keeps going up. Number one, that, that both drivers are okay. That's that's the most important thing. Um, number two, the right side door is, so, is I think they, I said, I saw it was four times softer than the left side door. So there's extra padding, um, extra plates on that left side door if there is a driver side impact. So I guess that is also encouraging. But at the same time, um, still a, a, a hit to the right side door, it's still, you know, in, in, in a scenario like that, um, a hard enough hit, you know, something could, could break free from the roll bar and potentially impale the driver. So that's obviously not good. Um, but you have to give a lot of credit to NASCAR there because they took both cars uh, to the R&D center. I, I know they took the five immediately, and I think that they took the 41 when it got back to the Stuart Haas Racing Shop. So um, they have both cars. They're, they're piecing it together. They're collecting data, and hopefully, it's something that they can learn from and avoid from happening again. I mean, I think um, I, I like the attentiveness from NASCAR here, just to to take a quick, um, essentially a quick stance on it, and, and say, hey, this is this is bad. Like right away, um, we know that this needs to get better. So um, good on them for for taking the cars and and doing what they need to do uh, to hopefully um, improve safety and, and prevent further in, further similar incidents from happening. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I NASCAR has been known, especially after losing so many drivers. I mean, up until well, seniors' death in 2001, and I would say Adam Petty and all of them too, like we used to lose drivers once every couple of years. I mean, it's a blessing that NASCAR has considered and taken these drivers' lives way more seriously and the safety of them. I mean, there's this bar inside the car called the Newman bar, right? Newman 
fun fact is a engineer outside of being a NASCAR driver, cool enough, but that bar was implemented after some of his wrecks and all that, just because of how the car was being impacted and all that. So they, they don't joke about this stuff. I mean, it's not just the lives of the drivers that you need to recognize and all that, but it's the fan base. It's what we see, what we perceive as well. Um, I know we brought up a lot about Larson in this wreck, but looking at Priest and his, that watching the replay of the in-car camera of him and the way he just impacted, it just, it hurts me. It hurts me. I'm glad that NASCAR like went to the R&D center. They're literally, the amount of work, the computer simulators, literally the cars are there. They're literally, it's like crime. I hate calling it a crime scene because it's not like an actual crime took place, but they're very meticulous about this and they're trying to figure out what can we improve. But again, you have the opposite side of this. Uh, Kurt Busch's health insurance company right now is in a lawsuit with NASCAR. I don't remember the exact amount, but because NASCAR before Kurt was injured and all that, they're claiming that they knew that the issues with the car from last year, they knew that was present. So there's a lot of, there is a lot of issues with this new car, right? It's not perfect. I, it, it still concerns me because like, if NASCAR with that lawsuit and they are proven that they knew that that car was dangerous at that point when Kurt was injured and Bowman was injured because that happened around the same time, that's scary. But I'm also hoping that NASCAR is taking things seriously just because of the fact that like, you can't hide the wreck that happened. We all saw what happened on TV. Like we saw the replays and all that. Um, I I don't know exactly how NASCAR is going to make these improvements because what people forget is that we still have a supply ch chain shortage due to COVID and all that. We can't just click our fingers and our heels together like we're Dorothy at Wizard of Oz. I wish that was that would be a cool kind of trick doing that and just magically the cars are bam perfect got it. But because of that supply chain shortage and just, I don't think people realize that the amount of work that goes into these cars in the first place to have them engineered the way that they work, it takes time. I'm hoping that NASCAR, like I said, is taking the time and they seem to be doing that, like I said, with the R&D center, but maybe it's a good thing that these cars don't have the growl and bite like Christopher Bell was saying when he was doing the tests and all that it, it feels gutless and all that maybe it's a good thing that they're not so fast yet and all that until they hammer out the safety issues my concern is get the safety issues taken care of first and then work on the car and the horsepower making it a better package overall that's a really excellent point by both of y'all about this situation and uh Maybe the best counterpoint I've heard so far from the camp that always says, team more horsepower, better racing. Well, we want better racing. We certainly want the cars to be faster, but y'all pointed out the common denominator. We need these drivers to be safe as possible so that, you know, if there is an accident, we do see them, you know, putting the window net down. And then when the AMR safety crew does arrive at the scene that, you know, we see he or she get out of that car and you know walk away from an incident and then they can express their frustration about their day thank their sponsors i think it's a common sight that we sometimes take for granted and maybe you know just assume it always happens 
And goodness golly, we we were getting stark reminders just how racing's a dangerous sport. It really is. You know, you mentioned it earlier, Jazz, about you know our friend here, TPF Live, Isabella Robusto, getting injured in you know the cars race last weekend at Hickory Motor Speedway, and then of course Alex Bowman getting hurt. And, you know, we, we potentially could have seen Alan Ryan Priest and, and Kyle Larson get injured in their accidents because that was just both accidents for both drivers were so savage. Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm i a journalist. I don't, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about feelings, but I can't even rewind. I don't even want to replay the one time I saw, you know, Ryan Priest's in-car camera. That was just once was bad enough for me. So, you know, whew. Racing, you know, we love to talk about the fun stuff. Sometimes we got to talk about the serious stuff, which this is the uh, the yin and yang, I guess, about motorsports and stock car competition that you, you have the good times and you have sobering times like these where we have to take a close look at, look at ourselves and the uh, industry into the mirror and just make sure we're doing things correctly to to, you know, make sure the stakeholders and all that are OK as much as possible. But let's, you know, turn things around here, making it a little bit more fun for the third topic, the penultimate topic, if you will, for podium perspectives. We were talking about this before the show recorded, and let's talk about it now so that the fans can hear our thoughts about this. You know, Ground Can Throwback Weekend is about two more weeks away, really, after Dover, because we've, we've got Dover, we've got Kansas next weekend, and then all of a sudden, it's a good year 400, and we will not have to get more email notifications about who is making the greatest drivers list because we keep having a debate in our little team huddle about who's going to make it and who won't. Um, we'll save that for another time. But what we do know is that we had quite a sliver of paint schemes that have been revealed. And before I give my opinion, let's hear from Jazz and then Nathan about what y'all have seen so far and, and any favorites that you have seen thus far for the Goodyear 400 paint schemes. Uh, uh, it's going to be a tie for me for favorites. Uh, that Jones boy. See, that's all I got to say. Um, Eric Jones is, of course, one of my personal favorite drivers, but I really, really respect and appreciate. So STP, who has always been, oh my goodness, how many years have they been sponsoring Richard Petty Motorsports as a whole? 52 50, years 50, or so? Yeah, something like 50, that. It's crazy, yeah. but... They came together with Legacy Motorsports. They sat down, they hammered things out, and the throwback looks just gorgeous. And also, Eric is really good at Darlington. One last year, so I'm not gonna lie. Just I'm, I'm crossing the fingers that he gets lucky again this year because that would be one really cool because just the legacy behind STV and then Richard and just his legacy itself i think that would be one heck of a way to just celebrate all of that together it's just yeah i'm really excited for that one but the other one that i want to take note is is william byron's 24 car um dupont okay dupont rainbow warrior 90s scree 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 i i know my cool points just dropped by a, a wide margin itself right there but DuPont, when they came out with the original paint scheme for Jeff Gordon with that, um, it's, how would you describe it, Rob? Like, I wouldn't call it iridescent, but it's a color shifting paint scheme. It goes from like a red to kind of like greenish kind of color. Yeah. Yeah, basically. 
But at the time, DuPont, it was one of the most expensive paint jobs that was ever done on a vehicle. I mean, this wasn't, this was not cheap, y'all. This was several thousand dollars just to get this on because of the the properties of the paint itself. But it was so gorgeous to see on track, just the way that the lighting and all that would hit off of it. So the fact that Googie Gordon, as I called them growing up and all that, they, they came together like, you know what, let's do this. Let's, let's put this as the paint scheme, not only celebrates NASCAR's 75th anniversary, but I feel like it celebrates Jeff Gordon himself. I mean, Jeff is one of the 75 best drivers of all time on the list. I mean, he was even before the new 25 edition that have been slowly revealed to us these past couple of weeks was released. I mean, he's made already such an impact. So the fact that not only are they celebrating that sort of milestone with him, but sort of with DuPont in this case, like just DuPont really helped Gordon and really excelled that team. I mean, without DuPont, we wouldn't have the Rainbow Warrior scheme and all that. I mean, that alone is kind of one of those, you know, pause and think moments. So I feel like it collaborates. I really, really want Byron to do well. And it's, I always pick on, I pick on him. I call him the Boy Scout out of the Hendrick camp because one, he's the youngest, but two, the way that he, portrays himself he's very I wouldn't say naive because that is definitely not the correct term but he's very mature on how he handles it like I said he's very mature I wouldn't say innocent because nobody's quote-unquote innocent but the way he holds himself character-wise and all that it's very pure and all that so I think this is this would be a chance for him to really prove himself I mean Byron's already had a, an okay season. I mean, he's had some ups and downs, but I mean, he's proven that he can wheel that car. He's not a force to just play with and mess with. I mean, he's proven himself and he's built his character up quite well. So those are my two picks. Like I said, just for me, those those made a really big lasting impression on me. I don't know about y'all, but I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've <clears throat> I I definitely enjoyed looking at all of them for sure. I'm trying to get just get a few of them together, and um, some of the ones that stand out for me right away. Well, I saw earlier today, the day of recording, Thursday, um, Jeremy Clements. He came out with his throwback scheme on his '51 Xfinity car, throwing it back to Jeff Bodine. That looks really cool. I think that that's probably one of my favorites so far. Um, I like Sammy Smith's uh, the the, pli- the pilot flying J throwback. Um, some of the Xfinity ones look really cool as well, so I, I have to give a lot of credit there. And I saw um, about like an hour or two before recording, Trackhouse came out with uh, um, Daniel Suarez's throwback scheme, a Quaker State uh, Ricky Rudd throwback. So that one looks really cool too. So I don't know, like I I guess I'd say so far my favorite is um, Jeremy Clemens, but there's not many I don't like. They're all fun to watch. They're they're all fun to look at, and 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 just. Great to enjoy. So I'm sure Darlington Throwback Weekend will be be a lot of fun. I have to make it down to Darlington one of these days. It's definitely on my one of my bucket list tracks for sure. But um, should be a good race. I say that should be a future Southern 500 trip for both of us to do because I always wanted to cover one of the crown jewel events of NASCAR. So let's make that happen. And I think in 2024, um, when you graduate from or you're going to be graduating that year. I don't know. Close to it. I'm already done with school, so I, I time doesn't matter for me anymore. Um, but yeah, I love those paint schemes that y'all have mentioned. 
yeah, as of this recording on Thursday night, I mean, that Ricky Rudd paint scheme from 1988 for Daniel Suarez is, that's a really beautiful paint scheme. And one thing I love that you both didn't mention for the cup side of things, we're not pissed off about the number placement situation with these throwbacks, because I remembered when they, you know, they moved the numbers closer to the, the front wheel wells that fans were like getting in a hissy fit about, oh, they're going to ruin NASCAR throwback paint schemes. They're not going to be looking good because the numbers have shifted. Well, we got some great paint scheme designers, folks, who know how to leverage that space. And even a more conservative team like Hendrick Motorsports still made that 1998 DuPont Chrome Illusion paint scheme looks so fantastic with William Byron's NASCAR 75th anniversary Exalta ride. And yes, maybe I'm a little biased because of the whole, I, you know, I grew up a Jeff Gordon fan. Oh my God, that paint scheme is awesome. It's probably one of my favorites, not just for Darlington, but of all time. But I still have a funny story before I, I'll, a really quick story. I remember that was 12, watched the 1998 Winston All-Star Race. And I was living in Malden, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And I was so excited that Jeff was going to win his third all-star race, or Winston at the time, his third Winston race in like eight years. Unheard of. And then on that final segment or final stage, he jumps the restart. And I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. But, you know, he gets a good clean restart. And in the first nine laps, everything's honky-dory. He's got a pretty good lead over Mark Martin in that number six Eagle One Ford Taurus. But then we get to turn one in the last lap, and the unthinkable happens for a Jeff Gordon fan. He runs out of gas. And at the time in the 1990s, Jeff Gordon and the number 24 team rarely made mistakes. So I was so pissed off. I flung my diecast car across the living room in disgust. And I must have said every single swearer that a 12-year-old boy could have known. Um, so I haven't told that story to Jeff, so I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but he'll probably get a kick out of that. I can laugh about it now because, you know, obviously 1998 went really well. But when I see that Chrome Illusion paint scheme, yes, it's beautiful. And it does change colors from like that greenish to a red to a gold. And I hope it does well in the wrap. But my golly. It hurts sometimes to look at that paint scheme. And Nathan's going to love this comparison. It's like watching the 2007 New England Patriots season when the Patriots go 16-0, and but they lose in the friggin' Super Bowl. That's what it feels like for me when I see that paint scheme because the friggin' Giants had to beat us in 2007 and, and ruin that perfect season. That's probably the most intense I've gotten on this podcast, folks. So that's the closest Sorry. I'll go to... No, you're good. This is the closest no. I'll get to swearing on, you know, no more friggins after this. It's okay. Four-year-old me was really upset too, if it makes you feel better. I remember, because like I said, I, I didn't know swear words at the time, but my guy was... Rest, my dad's favorite driver was Rusty Wallace. So he was laughing at me. And I... Four-year-old <laughs> me was a huge Gordon fan. Um, So... Yeah, I had a tamper tantrum too, if it makes you feel better. I was just it, four years old, not 12. It makes sense for you to do that at four. I was 12. I'm basically graduating <laughs> from sixth grade and I'm I'm flipping out. I'm pissed off. End of the world. You know, I should be thinking about, you know, uh, things that 12-year-old kids are thinking. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, I was pretty pissed off. We'll talk about that a little bit later yeah, on a future <laughs> TPF Live because, oh, man. Maybe for a Jeff Gordon special, but 
you know, I love the William By Byron paint scheme, but I'll bring up another paint scheme that we haven't quite brought up yet. And uh, I hope I'm not going to be jumping the gun a little bit. So if I do, don't hate. But I did see on the Darlington website before we recorded and earlier this week, that Christopher Bell appears to be driving a 2003 Matt Kenseth tribute paint scheme with the Walt as a sponsor. Now, I'm certain it's probably going to be a paint scheme for the Goodyear 400. If it is, I'll tell you what, I love that paint scheme because it's the last classic NASCAR season that's ever happened. Because after this, we're all about the playoffs and the chase. So I love that Kenseth paint scheme. I love, I hope it happens. And if it does, you fans at home, stop getting pissed off about the number placements shift. It's over. It's done. Just get used to the freaking situation. Oh, sorry. Just get used to the freaking situation that it's, it's <laughs> what it is. Let's just accept it's 2023. I'm an old school guy and I am, I'm, I'm totally cool. Look at this. Look at my Kyle Larson diecast car. The five is close to the wheel. I'm okay about it. So if I'm okay with it, you folks at home better be okay with it. So get well, over back, it. Back in my day, Rob, you're shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I, I will say, boomers, you boomers, chill out. Please. God. Darlington Don't Throwback Week is going to be amazing, and I cannot wait for it. So we'll see so We'll see more paint schemes, and I'm sure Nathan and I and Jazz and the whole team are going to you know, talk more about it when we get closer to that weekend, and we can stop talking about who has made the list because I have a, a lot of opinions on that. Anyways, folks, why don't we get to winning time right now here on, on TPF Live? And yes, Nathan, we will get to winning time, even though the weather situation is not exactly winning let's i'm thinking positively and i'm thinking you guys look at the lap 200 the race will be over and that's cool so anyways let's think about who we think will win this weekend's races at dover motor speedway with the xfinity series a game 200 which nathan probably will have the energy drink once again and then of course sunday's worth 400 not the baby i'm worth it 400 like some certain song that i have stuck in my head right now anyways nathan why don't you take things seriously unlike me and tell us who you think will be winning this weekend yeah for sure so i think on on the xfinity side i'm gonna go with justin algar i mean he is really really good there and junior motorsports is just in need of a win i mean they've had race winning speed every week and at least one of well i'd say at least probably three of their cars each week honestly they've just kind of not put it all together they've struggled late in the race they've kind of been bouncing off each other a good bit feels like they've been getting caught up in each other's messes basically every week so um they just struggle to put full races together last year they were wicked fast there uh i think all four cars were in the top five that included sam mayer literally like losing a wheel halfway through the race so um I'll go all guy just because I know that's like his best track. I think he's statistic that's statistically by far his best track. Um, he's due for a win, and, and as is J uh, Junior Motorsports. And then on the Cup side, I'll go with another guy that's pretty good there. Um, but it's not going to be in the Hendrick camp. I feel like Hendrick is always really strong, but it's going to be Denny Hamlin. Uh, it it also feels like he he's just due for a win. Um, he called it on his podcast that he was going to get you know get white hot. So um, yeah, I'm, I'll go Denny Hamlin to to scrape across his first win of the season. I, I dig it. I, I I dig it. I dig your ideas. Um, so 
gosh, you bring up junior, junior motorsports that I remember because there was a group of us watching at Hickory, literally the ending and the fact that three of the uh, JR cars kind of got taken out at the same time was very painful to watch. But I'm going to go with Riley Herbst for the Xfinity side. I that's I, that's probably the craziest thing that has come out of my mouth in a very long time. But I feel like Riley Herbst has matured enough. I feel like his maturity and just he's grown a lot. He's proven that he can wield the car. Like, I I feel like this would be one of those. I don't want to call it a surprise attack, but kind of at this point, I think this is his weekend to shine. Um, and I I think speaking about Ford's going over to the Cup side, I think Joey Joey Logano, yeah, that Joey guy. I think Joey Logano is going to be the one to look out for. Um, I mean. He's won multiple championships for a reason. I mean, he knows when to wheel and deal. Yes, sometimes I want to like hit my face against the wall because the way he does it is by taking out other people or driving way too aggressively, which I don't exactly advocate for. I like driving as clean as possible, but because of his actions and because of his discern and how he's able to wheel and deal throughout the field, that's something I feel like that's going to be key with Dover is just knowing when to go and when not to go. So look, look out for Joey. Joey, Joey, you, I'm watching, man. I believe in you. I like the faith that we're having this on this particular show. I think just being at number 67 gets people happy here. Um, maybe because I think of 1967 and the Beatles, all you need is love. So we're probably feeling that right now here on TPF Live. I don't know. I'm having a good day, folks. Just enjoy it. Great picks, by the way, Nathan, as well. So I am going to get a little methodical about my picks uh, for this weekend. So let's start off with the Xfinity A-Game 200 for Saturday, which, of course, all these races are going to be on FS1 or the former Speed Channel, RIP. So as far as the A-Game 200 is concerned, yeah, Justin Allgaier is pretty much due a victory at this point. As long as his JRM Motorsports guys don't keep wrecking to each other or him or both. But I mean, Talladega was kind of a crapshoot, so it's kind of a weird situation. I like the idea of going with him, but I'm going to play it safe. And I'll say John Hunter Nemechek wins the race on Sun on Saturday afternoon. Um, he's been off to a pretty good start with Joe Gibbs Racing. He's making a case to potentially throw his name in the hat should one of those Gibbs Cup rides open up for next season or so. So we'll go with him. Um, I learned my lesson not to always make the dark horse pick, but, you know, it is what it is. Now, as far as the worth 400 is concerned, I was taking this over because I know every weekend I get teased that I pick Kyle Larson every single Cup race weekend. Um, well, there's a good reason why I might consider one of the contenders because his average finish in the last 10, 14 races really is 6.9, which is insane. And let's nice. not forget that last. Yeah, pretty good, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I see the correlation <laughs> if you move the decimal point to the right. Um, but, but, um, let's not forget the fact that, you know, he had a little spin on the front stretch just before the halfway point. And still managed to finish six, despite the fact that his fender was missing and his car was pretty much junked up from like lap 158 onwards. But if I had to think outside the Hendrick camp and outside of Penske, I think we have to think about track house racing this weekend. 
Now, it's not just because of the fact that with Trackhouse Racing, they have great paint schemes and Kyle Sykes is just, you know, I'm an amazing paint scheme designer um, and I'm not being endorsed to say that. And it's not because of the fact that Pitbull's going to be on the car for the second Monster Mile race weekend in a row, but I will say Dale and uh, go with Daniel Suarez, the number 99 car. I think that if he's going to make the, the playoffs or almost at the chase, little throwback, but um, if anyone's going to make the playoffs and be a new, you know, winner, I think Daniel Suarez has the, the makings to be in it. He's uh, he just seems like he's in a good place mentally, and his team, led by crew chief Travis Mack, they're just ready to do something here really shortly. So they'll close out the month of April with a uh, April showers in Victor Lane, and then the Mayflowers come, and it's probably more winds their way in May. So uh, there you go, Nemechek and Suarez. What do you think, folks? Did Jazz or Nathan get it right, or did I get it right, or did we all screw up like three strikes and prices right? Yeah, it was Rusty Wallace who was going to win. You guys are right. That's there you go, Rusty Wallace. Oh, by the way, he will be the guest commentator for Sunday's FS1 race weekend. So I'm excited about that part. And yes, as a Gordon fan, I am cool with that. So, anyways, what do you think, folks, about our picks? Like him or not, tweet to us. I know for me, I'm at Rob Tiongson. Nathan, of course, is at nsolly 2 and Jazz is Jazz653086. It should just basically be like Stardate 653086, um, like in Star Trek Picard, which just wrapped up last Thursday. Sad face sound. Anyways, tweet to us. Let us know what you think, because uh, if we, you know, you get the winning pick, we're not going to give you Clint Boyer's money. We'll just buy you a, a 164 diecast car from spoilerdiecast.com. So good deal right there, folks. Anyways, it's just about time to get to the hot seat here on TPF Live. And for this weekend's edition of TPF Live, I'm going to throw it over to Nathan because he is the man behind all of those front row motorsports interviews, which you're about to you're about to hear. So Nathan, take it away. For sure. So yes, as we mentioned before, this week's hot seat is kind of double barrel, kind of not, but um, it is Travis Peterson and Michael McDowell. So Travis Peterson, of course, the crew chief for the number 34 um, front row motorsports car, uh, and Michael McDowell, the driver of the number 34 front row motorsports car. Um, they're in their first season working together. Michael McDowell is actually in his third different crew chief in three seasons. Um, had Drew Blickensderver for a couple seasons. Uh, they finished up together in 21 after winning the 500. Then Blickensturfer went over to Eric Amarola, and he had to find a new crew chief in 2022. Found Blake Harris, and then after a great 2022, Blake Harris leaves to go to Hendrick Motorsports, meaning Bowman had to find another crew chief. So, um, two, they kind of just talk about, uh, you know, getting this pairing together, trying to mesh together, uh, and build something at Front Row Front Row Motorsports. So we'll start with Peterson and then roll into McDowell here on the hot seat. So without further ado, let's do it. Obviously, you're in your first year here with Front Row as a crew chief. So what was your reaction to kind of finding out in that process that you're going to be the next crew chief of this team? Yeah, I mean, it was exciting. I'd wanted to do it for a while. And uh, the, the funny part of the story is I got an email from Michael that I thought was spam because it just said, hey, Travis, I got something to talk to you about. Kind of like you get those spam emails. And uh, we ended up eventually going to lunch, and it, it worked out. So I was pumped. It's definitely an opportunity I've wanted for a while. And it, 
be able to stay in the Cup Series and not have to go down a level to become a crew chief was great. And I know you're at RFK Racing for quite some time, so as an engineer, just what you learned over there that's really translated to, to your first year as a crew chief over here? Yeah, I think as the lead race engineer, you know, you're just so close to being a crew chief. You're assisting in all the decisions of the car and all the things you do, executing a weekend strategy. And so I really feel like it's a great place to prepare to become a crew chief. The, the biggest new stuff is just managing people that you didn't have to do before. Um, but as lead engineer also, you work with the mechanics really closely and come up with all the changes for them. So... Um, I feel like it's a very natural step between those two roles. And you were named uh, you know, crew chief pretty early into the offseason. So what did the rest of the offseason kind of look like for, for you and this team after you were named in that role? Yeah, the biggest thing was uh, a lot of the guys left the 34. Um, we didn't have a lot of people when I got there. So hiring was the biggest part all the way down through December and then finally could start working together. But really was just trying to build the team and get the team gelling together. And I know a lot of guys have wanting to go off the road more so how difficult is that just to, to pull that team together yeah no absolutely it's it's surprisingly hard to find people you get a lot of new people uh even at the cup level which who haven't raced at all um which historically the new guys would all go to xfinity or trucks and then you'd pluck guys from there that wanted to move up but somewhere between the schedule and something else i'm not sure what the deal is but now everybody's happy to stay in trucks or xfinity and it's hard to find yeah. people and what's it been like just developing this relationship with Michael? I know you said you knew him in the past, but what's it been like uh, on the personal side and, and yeah. on the racing side? Uh, I mean, it's been really great. Honestly, Michael's a super easygoing guy, easy to talk to, uh, very open book, um, and really down to business when it comes to race cars. And we're both kind of that way in terms of open, honest, not afraid to hurt each other's feelings because we're not going to hurt each other's feelings because we just want to get the best result. Um, so it's really been pretty easy and pretty smooth so far to get to know each other. And six races in, how would you just evaluate everything so far? Uh, you know, so far so good. We've had a few too many mistakes here and there, but, uh, you know, cars have had speed and we've shown potential and shown that we can pick up where they left off last year. And that's probably our biggest goal. And then as we move into the year, build on that. And I know that the next year car is kind of a whole other animal. So what are some of the challenges of just working on, on this type of car? Um, I think... I've just gotten used to it, right? I yeah. mean, at the at the beginning, it was so new with the independent suspension in the rear and the whole new diffuser aero package and everything. But I think after a year, um, you just kind of learn, you know, what knobs to turn and what makes the car go fast. And honestly, I haven't noticed that be too big of a challenge as much as the, the hardest part of this car is you can't mess with some stuff. You can't mold body panels that don't fit right. You just have to deal with them fitting bad and stuff like that. That's probably the biggest challenge. So it doesn't feel new anymore? It doesn't feel new now. I think I've just adapted and shifted. I've had so much new becoming a crew chief that yeah. now the car is normal. <laughs> and then just last thing, you know, what do you feel like the ceiling is of this team this year? Um, you know, I think making the playoffs is probably our, our loftiest goal. Um, I think that's still very much a possibility. And, uh, you know, I think if we can do that, that's where we shake out there. It's kind of just icing on the cake. Um, just to start, you know, I kind of want to start with last year. You know, obviously your most consistent year, um, you know, coming off of 21, you win the playoffs, you win the 500. Just how did, how did you evaluate last season, just finding that consistency? Well, I think last season was my best season. I mean, obviously the win and making the playoffs, you know, statistically looks better, but from an actual performance and speed standpoint, last year was our best year at Front Row and, and definitely my best year in my career. And, um, and so, yeah, I look at it as, like, this next-gen car was what we needed as a team and an organization and for myself to kind of level out some of the areas where we were maybe not as competitive. And I think that's allowed us to, you know, be more consistently uh, towards the front. 
And what's really allowed you to find that? You know, well, I think the new car. I think the new car. I really do. You know, um, not taking away anything that we've done here because every year we've gotten better and better. And so even the last year in the old car, we you know won the 500, made the playoffs, had some top tens, had some top fives. So it was a good season. But then the next gen car, I think, allowed us to get to that that next level. Um, and I've been really comfortable in this car since the very first test. Uh, yeah, I like the speed of the steering. I like the feel of the car. It's sequential shifting, shifting more, the brakes. Um, it's not a sports car, but it's closer to a sports car. And that's my background before I went, you know, cup racing. So I think it all just was, came together. Yeah. And I know there's some places that you ran at, you know, really well last year that you hadn't always ran at before. Yeah. So what was that like? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, I mean, honestly, even some of the road courses, you know, typically I run decent at the road courses, uh, but going to Sonoma last year and qualifying in the top five, racing in the top five, finishing third, that's what I always felt like I could do and have never been able to do it until last year. Um, and then, like you said, other places too, you know, other racetracks that you wouldn't historically, you know, consider strong for us, we were really good at. And I think even this year we've closed the gap too because, you know, last year Phoenix, Richmond, New Hampshire, they were just not great for us where we went to Phoenix this year and had a good run and qualified well. So I'm optimistic that we can do what we're doing every week. And you had Blake Harris as your crew chief last year. How did he elevate this team? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's not ever just one person, and I'm not taking away anything from Blake. I love Blake, and, I mean, he did a tremendous job. Um, but, you know, Ryan Bergini was my car chief, who's now the crew chief on the 38, and, and he brought a lot. And it's that, that, that whole entire group that elevates the program. Um, and we've gotten better and better at the shop, you know, on the back end of things. And, yeah, so Blake, Blake brought up, you know what Blake brought was the will to win, which is super important and the know-how how to do it because he he was coming from a a winning organization and um, he didn't settle and so that mentality is has paid off and now he's over at Hendrick obviously and I know there's a lot of crew turnover for you guys in this offseason but when you found out he was leaving kind of what was your your reaction to that were you surprised at all I thought it sucked and I still think it sucks Um, and I you know I I say that with Travis sitting right here is that you know Travis is doing a great job and I'm thankful to have him um, but when you have something that's going really good, it, it's no fun to start over. And it's not just not just a crew chief. I mean, there's only two guys on the 34 car that were on the 34 car last year. And that's a little bit of the issue that we fight is, like, you, you know, you put together a good group, you put together a good program, you run well, and then you lose a lot of those guys to the bigger organizations because they can pay them more and offer them better benefits and all the things that we can't do. And and you feel like you got to start over. Um, and so this is our third year in a row starting over. And so Travis said that it started with an email you sent to him, you know, once, once he found out that Blake was leaving. So did he come to mind right away as someone that you wanted to be an expert chief? Yeah, I've been fortunate at Front Row to have a lot of um, flexibility and um, opportunity to, to go find who I want. And, you know, I, I, I went and got Blake. And I went and got Drew. And... I went and got Travis, and so far I'm three for three, doing pretty good. And um, the key now is not losing. Yeah. Um, just what's it been like working with him so far? Yeah, it's been good. You know, I mean, our cars have had good speed. Um, he's done a good job communication, calling the race, all that stuff has been easy for him. I think 
all those years of sitting on the box and having you know that experience as a race engineer, it probably made that transition pretty easy for him. Uh, different than like Blake, who was a car chief, right? Um, some of those roles, Blake had to kind of find his, you know, his legs in. Um, honestly, if you just look at how we performed and how we ran this year, it's just been a really poor execution on my part. I mean, I've had too many penalties, you know, speeding penalties, too many mistakes um, that stopped us from getting more top tens already. So I feel like the speed's there and all the ingredients are there to have a really good season. We just got to put it together. And what's this relationship like between you guys, you know, whether it's at the track and away from the track too? Yeah, it's been good. You know, I'm getting a lot of experience with this because I'm on my, my third group chief in three years. And so I feel like now I kind of know how to cut through all the BS and get down to business. And uh, Travis and I have both done a good job of that, of figuring things out, figuring each other out, and just being honest and transparent on what we got to do to be better. And so it's been really good. And you said you put a lot of blame on you for six races. So kind of what do you need to do then to kind of clean things up and get things on the right track? Yeah, you know, it just some of those things ebb and flow, you know. Um, I don't think it's just a complete lack of concentration or anything like that. I just feel like I've been pushing probably a little bit too hard. Um, and, you know, anytime you you want to get the most out of everything, but when you overstep it, it's easy to make mistakes. I think I've just made a few too many mistakes. Uh, but also, too, because we have new people. You know, how you set the dash and, and how you set those pit road lights. When you have all new engineers... You know, it's new to them. That system's new to them. And what I'm used to and what my parameters are or what my um, comfort level is might be different than theirs. And so it's just figuring out some of those timings and things like that. Um, you know, obviously last week at Coda, making a mistake in qualifying sucked because it put us, you know, you know, starting in the back. And I think we could have, you know, had a better opportunity to, to run top five all day and score more stage points. I mean, we still had an opportunity to get a top five and got spun. So... I think everything's there to run well. We just have to put it all together. And obviously, you know, you got yourself back in the mix, had your best result of the year. So is that a confidence booster? And how much have you really grown to love these road courses as well? Obviously, on the road, the road course racing background too. Yeah, no, I love them. And I think that, you know, we've, we're going to have opportunities to, to win those races and be up front. So, yeah, I'm excited about the, the ones, you know, coming up. And, and there's more to that. Um, confidence wise it didn't really change anything at the end of the race if anything I was just more pissed that I got spun out and had an easy top five and had to come from 30th to get to that 12th you know um, but our cars are fast and it makes all the difference in the world and now you know with this new short track package and road course package so this is race three with it first true short track uh, what would you kind of feel at Phoenix would you feel at Coda and what do you kind of expect with this package going forward yeah Phoenix was good for us qualified well made it to the second round I think we qualified seventh or eighth there and uh, I'm not sure where we finished, 12th or 13th, something like that. So we had a good run, um, so that's helped us. This less downforce package has helped us. Uh, Coda was strong. So, yeah, I think that this this will be a, a good test for us. Richmond's, you know, has not been a strong track for us, but either is Phoenix. And so I'm hopeful that what we learned at Phoenix will apply here. And then, obviously, with the way you guys are in points, how do you balance the consistency aspect with also trying to, you know, get a win and race yourself yeah, in the playoffs? Yeah, it's, it's just all about getting a win. Consistency isn't isn't going to get you in the playoffs. So, got to win a race. Um, but with that being said, you got to run in the top five to win a race. And and if you're running 15 and you crash and you lose points, that's stupid. So, you got to make it count when it counts, and you got to build on what you got going on right now and 
Um, and so it just every race is different. You know, if come Sunday afternoon we're restarting third, I'm going to go for the win. And if we crash, we crash. If I'm restarting 18th, then I need to come out of here with a top 15, not a crash, right? So every situation is different. You, you got you to gotta run, you know, the race that's in front of you. Uh, but winning a race is, is what our sport's about now. I mean, making scoring points doesn't really do much. And just last thing, what, what's the goals and expectations for the rest of the year? Is it to get back in the playoffs? Yeah, the, the goal is simple. Win a race and get in the playoffs. That's, that's the goal. Awesome. And that was Travis Peterson and Michael McDowell in the hot seat with Nathan Solomon. Job well done, my friend, on getting on the front row with Michael McDowell and Travis Peterson, or we call them MT34. Kind of a disco name for them, but awesome interview as always. And hope the East fans, wherever they are, enjoy that interview, those interviews here on TPF Live, which I know you worked hard at uh, during Richmond Race Weekend. So like Nathan said, he's got a bunch of goodies coming our way here on TPF Live. So I have the easy job for these next eight weeks or so. I just get to be the host and Nathan's going to be getting us the goods. So looking forward to that. And you'll be snagging some good clips as well um, from the bullpen and at the racetrack this coming weekend. So if you see Nathan, give him a shout out, you know, give him a fist pump. And uh, let's let Mother Nature know that we don't need her to be a um, to be a to be a jerk. Still parading in her parade. Exactly. I almost said um, a certain curse word, which I will not. But we'll just we'll be we'll we'll try not to poke the bear in this situation uh, with Mother Nature. But yes, folks, we're getting very near the end of TPF Live episode number sixty-seven. So before we we close things out, I will be dropping an an extra episode for this weekend because on the NHRA side of things, it's the Ford Nationals again. So it seems at Max Dragway. And as a matter of fact, I will be dropping that interview potentially this week, probably after this week. Um, I interviewed uh, Camry Caruso, who is a driver for the Pro Stock Series at NHRA with KB Titan Racing. So you'll get to hear from one of the bright young stars from NHRA Racing. So we'll get that here during the weekend. So you guys who love, you know, the quarter mile drag strips instead of the, the one mile monster mile, which you should like both. That's just mandatory. Um, you get to hear from one of the great young stars in the NHRA. So we're going to try to branch things out here on TPF Live. We are the fastest lane in racing. There are fast lanes in NHRA. So Cammy uh, Caruso knows about that because she won this year's Arizona National. So we'll hear from her in a bonus edition of TPF Live. It'll be episode number 67A, which you should be seeing this weekend on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. Now, before we, you know, wrap up this show, of course, I know I usually say final thoughts, but uh, on this recording, Jerry Springer passed away. So I'm not going to, I'm going to retire the whole final thoughts idea um, because that's kind of his idea. But I used to, I kind of say that kind of the throw it back to the summer of 1999, watching his trash talk TV show. So yeah, end of an era in trash TV talk shows. Nathan, again, probably has no idea who Jerry Springer is, um, which is okay. It's no loss at all. But um, no, all seriousness, condolences to the Springer family, of course. Man, it's so weird seeing all these celebrities pass away. But as it is, it is 2023. So before we wrap up the show, Nathan, Jazz, do you guys have any final you know, perspectives on 
this episode. Just say a prayer for me that it'll be dry this weekend. <laughs> because I have gone back and going dating back to Dover last week or Dover last year, every single weekend I have been at a racetrack, it has rained. Dover in 22. Uh, Watkins Glen, IMSA six hours. Loudon, Pocono, Watkins Glen NASCAR. Um, went to a dirt race in uh, fall of or October 21, 22. Jeez, I'm getting my years mixed up. Uh, Super Dirt Week, that one. Um, rain there. Went to Richmond. It rained. So we're on like a seven-race rain streak. Um, inevitable that it's at least going to become eight with, with Friday. But uh, hopefully, again, Mother Nature will... Uh, fix her attitude and make Sunday uh, dry enough to at least get the race in. So um, let's hope that happens. Otherwise, uh, looking forward to a very good weekend at Dover Motor Speedway. My seventh NASCAR race weekend with the podium finish. So should be a blast. I, I feel equally as cursed because the three races that I have worked with the podium finish also had rain incidents. So Mother Nature, I don't know what you're doing, but you just got to stop, stop, get some help. So um, I think my real take from all of this is don't, don't count out the underdogs. Um, I think this season, I, I think back to like pool and all that from last week, they, they had some really great finishes and all that. So I know we, a lot of times our picks are people from like the top, top teams and all that, but Y'all never know. Something crazy could happen. So just expect the unexpected, y'all. Absolutely. That's why we love racing. You know, we can make predictions until we're blue in the face, but uh, that you watch two to four hours of NASCAR racing and you'll find out that you, you, even we're just as bad as the weather forecasters or the meteorologists, wherever your, your market is. So sorry, Chicago Windler. I'm not making fun of you. I'm just make fun of the industry you can make fun of nascar she's a follower of mine so not trying to poke the bear on that one either my final perspective really is the fact that we're heading towards the fun part of the motorsports calendar i love the month of may even though we're still in april i mean dover's gonna close things out but what fun we're gonna have in tpf starting next month we've got kansas coming up one of the best intermediates we've got around the race fans in the kansas you better show up. Get your butts in those seats. We're going to have some great racing over there. Then we go to Darlington, one of the most abrasive track surfaces around. And it's going to be such a mess that I love it. And of course, the throwback paint schemes are going to come out. And you'll probably see those diecast cars in January or February of next year. Then we go to North Wilkesboro. My goodness, I never imagined in my entire life as a journalist, much less as an older guy, that I'd be talking about the return of North Wilkesboro. So we got some people for that race weekend. And then we close things out with the Coke 600 on the NASCAR side. We have some folks for that race weekend as well. But I am so excited to announce here on TPF Live a couple of things. Number one, we have a team at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for both the Grand Prix the, and, and the 170. 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. So I'm so happy for Luis Torres, who's basically my IndyCar equivalent on our outlet. He'll be going. We've also got Stephen Conley, who, you know, is usually at the big racetracks. Well, he'll be at probably the biggest race 
besides NASCAR's Daytona 500, the Indianapolis 500, the greatest spectacle in racing, and our newcomer, Wayne Thomas Regal, who is an amazing photographer from Ohio. And as you know, folks, he was actually the SRS official photographer last year. So if you went to their website, got those press releases, chances are Wayne took those shots. And Wayne is a great storyteller with his camera. So I'm so excited for those three. And lastly, it is kind of a bittersweet, but happy news. I say bittersweet because it means that this individual will no longer cover NASCAR for us on TPF, but he will still be with the TPF family. But I am so happy that we, you know, our Kobe Lambeth, who joined us in 2018, young kid who, you know, networked with me and he was like, can I write for you? And I'm like, hell yeah, dude, Just let's get started. I'll, I'll take you under my wing. This kid has worked so hard to be in motorsports media. And the first few years were tough for him because I tried to get him networked with folks in the industry. Some folks were, you know, they weren't so receptive to him just as they were to me in the beginning. But as he worked hard, you know, he, he established a, himself as a great TPF writer and editor. He, he worked really hard as a multimedia producer, a great ranking. And this week he announced on his Twitter that he is now a freelance editor with NASCAR.com, which is one of my goals to even work for them. So he's achieved, you know, one of my greatest dreams at a young age. And this kid deserves it. You know, I know he's worked his guts out covering every single racing series under the sun. This kid even covers Asian Le Mans. That's how dedicated he is. I don't even know what the heck Asian Le Mans is, but he did. He covered it. So I'm going to, you know, raise a glass of water to Kobe on his accomplishment. Looking forward to seeing his works on NASCAR.com as a freelance editor. Don't worry, folks. He'll still be with us on TPF, but covering other motorsports series. So we still have him on that front, but man... We're going to live vicariously through you, Kobe, because I know Nathan, me, Luis, the rest of us who, you know, we basically pursue the stream in journalism. You're, you're, you've accomplished it, my friend. You deserve every ounce of success that you'll have now, forever. And um, don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You know, you deserved it. And to anyone who doubted you in the beginning, I'll say, ha, ha, ha. I knew Kobe would do it. So... I feel very validated knowing that he, he proved a lot of doubters wrong. He's going to be the star in Motorsports Media. So congrats, Kobe. Really proud of you, my friend. With that, folks, I like the fact that we're going to end things on, on a high note here. So let's leave it at that. And then, folks, know that episode 67A will be dropping this weekend. So let's put a bow on this show and get ready for episode 68 next weekend. So I'm sure Nathan's ready to hit the road. So let's do that. Let, let's let him get it to Dover. And hopefully he covers all the racing action and doesn't go back to Monday and not see a race at all for Cup. So for Nathan Solomon, Jasmine Sharp, Travis Peterson, and Michael McDowell, I am your host, Rob Tiongson, saying thank you so much for tuning in to TPF Live, episode number 67, the world's fastest hour of racing talk. For previous episodes, check those out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Come back next week for episode number 68. I'm sure Nathan's going to be having some great interviews that he'll be rolling out for episode 68 and pretty much until episode 80 at this juncture. So with that said, let's all go get that checkered flag. And until next time, everyone, stay safe and I will see you out there.
So long, everyone.